0: It's kind of weird. I mean, the, the whole idea, if you step back and get out of... Well, just the idea that we're celebrating Jesus' birthday is kind of weird, right? Like, it's not as though Jesus is up there being like, if you don't celebrate my birthday, I'm going to be sad. That's not how Jesus rolls. Jesus doesn't, you know, that's not, not his thing. In fact, uh, most, most scholars think that uh, the Christmas is actually... Basically, the Christians knew that there was this uh, Roman holiday that started on the 21st of December, Saturnalia. Uh, in the, that's that's the, the winter solstice, right? Shortest day of the year. And uh, the Romans, they had this, uh, this, this tradition that they would do uh, where it was like kind of celebrating the end of the year, kind of getting excited about the coming of the new year. And so what they would do, um, get this, is they would give each other presents, and they would have a lot of parties, and then they would uh, get ready for the brand new year to happen. And the Christians were like, okay, but really, really, I, I, I love this tendency, you know, for human beings to have traditions and have uh, celebrations and whatnot, but the, the problem is, is that we're celebrating the wrong stuff. And so what the Christians did, and you heard it in that song, Light of the World, is they, they, they took the idea of, yeah, December 21st is the shortest day of the year, and then after that, the light comes into the world, right, and the days start getting longer, right? And so they said, well, let's celebrate the true coming of the light of the world. And that's sort of how Christmas got started. And if that's the case, uh, the season that we call Advent, the season of anticipation of the coming of the light of the world, is really a season of anticipating or getting excited or re-excited about God's salvation coming into the world. The light of the world uh, was not just to, to show us neat stuff. It was to save, rescue. And so the very idea of Christmas, the celebration, what we do every year, it really, if you break it down and get to the core of what it is, it's not a birthday party for Jesus, although sort of it is, but it's really a a, a time for us to re-acclimate to the notion that we're waiting for God to come save us. God saves us from our sins once and for all in Jesus Christ through uh, through our faith, but God's his his redemption and his his change and his transformation it, it keeps going all our lives long. Jesus didn't just come once as a where he comes every time the Spirit moves us and shakes us loose of patterns of sin patterns of destruction when he redeems us when he changes us. And really, the issue is is that we live in a culture that wants us to do everything it possibly can to distract us from that. So this series is called What I'm Not Doing for Christmas. Here's all the stuff I'm not going to do, and I encourage you, I would invite you to not do it with me. And so we're going to go through and we're going to look at all the different ways that the culture is ripping us away from the right attitude, the right posture of expectation of God's coming and his rescue and his salvation. So let's uh, take a look at a paradigm example of scripture of somebody who waits for God the right way. This is David in Psalm 62. David's on the run. People are trying to kill him. And he knows that God's going to come and bring salvation. And this is how he does it. David says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall never be shaken. How long will you assail a person? Will you batter your victim? All of you. Uh, David's now talking to the people who are after him. And we might even be talking to the culture around us that seeks to derail us from right waiting for God. As you at a leaning wall, a tottering fence... Their only plan is to bring down a person of prominence. They take pleasure in falsehood and lies. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. You might even say they take pleasure in fake news. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they hate. For God alone my soul waits in silence. My hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my deliverance and my honor, my mighty rock. My refuge is in him. Trust in him all times, O oh, people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate, a delusion. In the balances they go up there, together lighter than a breath. Put no confidence in extortion, set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Once God has spoken, and twice I have heard, power belongs to God. And steadfast, said, committed, never give up, never quit, everlasting love belongs to you, O Lord. For you repay to all according to their work. Just like to highlight that uh, the first section, it, it kind of repeats twice. There's sort of uh, three stanzas to this uh, text. And the first two start in the same way. I think, uh, John, if I have the next slide, I think um, it's highlighted there. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. Uh, this is the New Revised Standard Version. And I like it because it kind of balances uh, really fidelity to the Hebrew, but in a sort of a more understandable way. Uh, but my, I, I, I have it, I take issue with the word silence. Uh, it, it, you'll see it in a second here. It repeats. Um, uh, my soul waits for you in silence, O oh God. Uh, you alone, O oh God, my soul waits. Soul, of course, uh, is not like an invisible thing that that disappears when we die. Uh, in Hebrew, the soul is the whole person, right? Nefesh, it's the, uh, the, the, all of me, my identity, everything that I am. Okay. So what David's saying is he's saying, he's saying, everything that I am, all of me, all of me is, 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 is silent before you, oh God. But again, silence is not the right word. Silence doesn't quite get it in English. Uh, dimiyah, damar, uh, damam in, in Hebrew. It's, uh, it's like, it's like, um, repose. It's like, uh, rest. It's like, um, it's almost like resignation sometimes. So, uh, so like you, you, David's at this point where, where he, he knows he can't do anything, right? So he's given up trying to do stuff. And instead he's just resting, just falling back, reposing, resigning himself into God's hands. And he's doing all of it, all of his emotions, all of his feelings, his concerns, his thoughts, his beliefs. Everything is just dropping right into God's lap. The opposite of which you can see over and over and over again in the second greatest Christmas movie of all time, A Christmas Story. <laughs> Ralphie, I have a picture of Ralphie? There he is. It's a great moment in A Christmas Story. A Christmas Story is crazy, it's frenetic, it's nonstop. Like, it, it, it's mind boggling how there's just no scene where anyone's relaxed, it's just constant movement. Uh, and, and for that reason, it very much captures the American sort of Western way of doing the holidays, right? It's like, go, 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 go. Never surrender, never quit. Ralphie, his mission, his mission, if you haven't seen the movie, shame on you. If you have, you know that his mission is to get a Red rider BB gun. But he has a problem. You'll shoot your eye out. You'll shoot. Everyone he talks to, it won't get him a Red rider. Ry- They're like, you can't have a Red rider BB gun. You'll shoot your eye out. Which is a weird thing to say when you think about it. I mean, I guess it makes sense at the end of the the BB bounces back, but I would never think of you shitting your eye out. But that's what they say. And so Ralphie gets to a point in his life where all of Christmas, all of his hope, depends on one person. Santa Claus. So his parents take him to the mall. It's a really creepy scene. If you watch it, it's like, it's almost like a horror scene. Like the elves are like in his face, like, Ooh! it's really gross. And then, and, and Ralphie free, he freezes up and Santa's like, what do you want for Christmas, little boy? He's like, dum, 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 dum. Santa's like, oh gosh, get this kid off me. So he puts him on the slide. And This is this picture, right? The, the, the kids, when they're done with Santa, they get thrown on a slide and they're sent down. It's a very bizarre scene. It's really weird. Uh, but but Ralph, he, he comes to himself, and he's like he grabs on, he's like, no, 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 I know what I want. I want a Red rider a slump stock, action, blah, 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 baby gun. And Santa looks at him, he's like, you'll shoot your eye out, kid, and kicks him down. It's awesome. He has What's that? He has glasses? He has glass? Is that what he says, he wants new glasses? No, he has glasses. Oh, jeez, you haven't seen the movie? Okay, well, then you know the glasses end up protecting his eye. When the BB, whatever, it's not. Uh, Now, the the problem here is that Ralphie has put his faith and his trust in the wrong person, right? He thinks that Santa Claus can save him. He thinks that Santa Claus is like the last-ish effort and and that Santa's the one who can. And so from this point on in the film, the rest of the time, Ralphie is is in in a mode of resignation. He's given up. He's like just trying to brace himself for the sadness of Christmas. Similarly, uh, probably the greatest character in the movie is the old man. Have him, yeah, the old man. This is a great shot. This is um, the old man. His whole life is spent basically like being pushed from one thing to another. He he's 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 stalwart. He's very like a classic American. Like I'm just gonna get through this kind of guy. But all he really wants is to be left alone so he can read the paper for five minutes. He doesn't want to have to punish his kid for saying bad words. He doesn't want to have to fix the tire on the car. He doesn't want to have to do anything. He, he works. He's fixing the furnace. The guy is like, he's, he's an awesome dude. And all he just wants is some peace and quiet. I suggest to you that as much as I love a Christmas story, it, it, it pretty much embodies the opposite of how David um, settles in and waits for God's salvation. Right, David, um, he just casts all of his his cares, everything, his whole person, every part of his identity is cast onto God. God alone is going to be responsible for victory, for salvation, for life. Ralphie and the old man, and, and we, if we're honest, Spend all of our time running around. We just make ourselves super busy. And I wonder if, if maybe there's a part of it that, that just helps distract us so we can just get through it, just move on. When really what, what God has for people who are waiting for his rescue, his salvation, his movement is to be totally dependent and resting in him. That's the first thing in your note sheets. Simply replace running with resting. Easier said than done. Oh yeah, okay, right, sure. <laughs> Have you seen your calendar this month? Calendaring, ah man, I love it. I love calendars. Uh, so I figured maybe we can have just a little check here. This is called the rest check. Just, just a few, like, inventory questions we can ask ourselves to see if maybe we're in danger of, of, of just running a bit too much. And so the, the first question from our rest check, does the calendar have some no days? A no day is when someone's like, oh, you should do this, and you're like, no, I'm not going to do that. For some of us, that's hard. For some of us, we're like, oh, I want to say yes to everything. Uh, But also, a a no day is not a day where you don't have something on the calendar, but it's like, you know, the kids do go to soccer and you do are going to volunteer to want to... That's not a no day. A no day is a day where, like, you really could do something with people and you just say no because to create some space, to create some space for uh, something other than the movement, to create some space uh, for rest, to create some space for saying... God, what is it that you want to save me from, right now? What sin owns me that you want to liberate me from? What uh, part of my life is just out of whack, and I need to begin and or rebegin trusting in you? That that's the point. The point is not so that you can like, you know, sit back and watch TV. That's not a no day. Okay, a no day is 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 a day where you and maybe as a family, depending on how things work, we stop. And we say, where's God taking us? Are we waiting on him? Number two, do our plans bring stress, peace, or a bit of both? Some of you actually, you're weird people. In fact, there's a lot of you. Um, Some of you are on my staff. You, uh, You actually become happier when you meticulously plan things. It brings joy and peace to you. I can't think of anything more stressful than planning stuff. I want to just be told where to go. I want to wake up and have Aaron be like, oh, today we're doing this. And be like, yes, yes, Aaron. Let us go do that. I do not want to spend a lot of time being like, well, should we do this or this? And how are we going to figure it? But we have to do it, right? Planning is a part of life. I get that. But we need to be in a zone or in a mindset where we're dealing with our planning and our forethinking in such a way that it is bringing us peace, not stress. That's going to be different for everybody, But if 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 how we're doing it is taking us out of that zone of expectation of God's coming and God's deliverance, then we are gonna miss Christmas. It's just gonna happen. We're gonna be stressed out, and then it's gonna be over, and be like, oh. Number three. Are we looking for God to bring rescue and redemption, or are we just trying to get through it? Isn't that weird? I confess, uh, you know, I, I, I dislike holidays. I dislike anything that involves me doing anything other than sitting on the couch. And so I, I, I admit that it's very difficult for me to, to approach this season, the season where we celebrate the coming of God into the world, with anything other than a sort of grim resignation just going to soldier through. And then on December 26th, i get to relax, brace myself for New Year's. And in, and in that, I, I, I just don't, it, it's so hard for me to remember that the, the whole point is to re-remember that God wants to save me in some way. That God wants to redeem me in some way, or to be thankful that God did come and once for all erase sin and death. Let's go back to the text. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I'll never be shaken. Next slide. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my deliverance and my honor. My mighty rock, my, my refuge is in God. This may not uh, connect to us, um, but, but if you imagine being David, right? David's on the run. This is probably the early part of his life. He's, he's, uh, he's been told he's going to be king, but everyone wants to kill him. He has no friends, and and in the ancient world he's in what's in a very very vulnerable situation. In the ancient world, the best place to be at any time was inside of a fortress, a city with large walls. I have a picture here of Masada. So when when David says my fortress, my rock, this is what he's thinking of. This is the fortress uh, that the Jewish people put together during the um, first. The first Roman war, Roman-Jewish war, it took place from 66 to uh, 73 A.D., so after Jesus had ascended to heaven. um, During this war, Jerusalem was sacked. uh, The temple was destroyed, and uh, the last Jewish defense took place in this fortress, and they lasted in this fortress against the full might of the Roman armies for four years. Because, as you can see, I mean, we, we have the excavations a little bit, but you can see that there's no way to get to that fortress, like the Roman armies could not ascend the, the, the hills without being just like annihilated. And so what they were reduced to was basically like cutting the supplies off of the Jewish people to the point where they were in danger of starving to death. And that was the only way they could stop and, and defeat uh, the Jewish zealot warriors. So for four years, people stayed in these walls and survived because in the ancient world, a fortress in a rock was really the safest place to be. So what David's thinking is, David's alone. He doesn't have a rock or a fortress to retreat to. He's in a cave, and and what he's envisioning is he's envisioning uh, uh, the the armies that his his enemies, either Saul or the Philistines or whomever, and they're and they're charging towards him, and he's just one guy with like a spear or or a sword or something like that, and he's gonna get overwhelmed. He's he has no place to retreat, no place to run, and yet in the middle of that situation, he's at incredible peace. He's an incredible joy because he knows that God is a fortress, that God is his refuge and his rock. God is his Masada. And he can last for a really long time against the overwhelming forces of the enemy because he's got God on his side. Go briefly back to the text. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. He pivots in the psalm, we'll talk more about this later, to, to talking to the family, the congregation of believers. And he's like, if this is the case, you can just dump out all of your concerns, your worries on God, and you can marvel, you can live in wonder at the notion that God can't be stopped, and you can't be stopped because God's with you. You're just, you're relaxing, you're just resting in Him, and He is the fortress. It's a little hard for us to, to get our minds around. Uh, for those of you who've actually like, been in a near-death experience, say, uh, with, with in, in the water, this is, this is for me, a couple of times in my life, uh, in my 20s, I was um, surfing and just out of my league and, and was, it fell and was thrown by a wave in such a way that I was pretty sure I was going to die. I mean, I was underwater long enough to be like, this could be it. And in that, that moment, you, you, all of, the, all of the, the trappings that we have in this culture that, that kind of make us feel like we're in control, they're all gone. And we realize, no, it's, it's God or it's nothing. What, what David is imagining is he's, he's, he's imagining like the, that as powerful as waves are, as powerful as armies are, it, when, when they come up against the rock, they just break. There's just no, there's no movement. The rock is implacable. It stands. It cannot be moved. And he's like, if that's who God is, and that's what God's doing, then dude, what am I worried about? And when he, when he calls to the people, he's like, he's like, look at what God's like. Everybody just, just pour everything out. recapture what he's really doing is he's saying recapture a sense of the wonder of who God is and what it means that God is with us I I confess you know I I love science I love all the news and the things that. And, and, and in the middle of all of the different things, the reading and the watching, and the, like that, that sense of wonder <laughs> and awe and fear, like, like you know, like the breath is escaping. I'm like, oh, I'm going to die. And then, and then coming out of the water and taking a gulp of air and like getting to a safe spot and looking around and being like, wow, this is a powerful place and God is in control. Next thing you're noticed, you note, she simply replaced worry with wonder. Worry with wonder, and again, of course, easier said than done. Okay, how are we going to recapture that sense of awe at who God is and what God has done? Well, here's a couple of suggestions. Number one, wonder check. Do we regularly reflect on God's past provision and might? We're in a forward-facing culture. Everything we do, and this is why we're so efficient and why we create and innovate and do all amazing things. I'm not knocking it, but our culture is telling us to always be advancing. What's next? How can we grow? How can we thrive? How can we improve? How can we, that, And those are all good things. I'm not knocking that. I think that's, there's value in that. But the culture never, ever, ever suggests that we should step back and be like, Hey, how did we get here? There's this run, run, run to the future instead of a recognition of the past. I suggest that most of us here at one time or another have been bowled over by God's goodness and mercy and power. And if we're not regularly re- reflecting on that, if we're not you know, taking time out to remember it and to acknowledge it, then how are we going to have the, the joy and wonder and the, and the certainty that God's still with us, still going, that we're still in it together? And so I would say probably the best way to recapture wonder is to look back at who God is. Uh, for me, that's... Um, well, we'll do it. Okay. So number two. All right, regular reflection. The, the classic, when I was growing up, the classic Christian thing was, did you do your quiet time? What this means is like, uh, you wake up, you have to wake up super early, which I love. And then the first thing that you do is you get, you know, you kneel down beside your bed and you like pray hard for 15 minutes. And then maybe, I'm not, I am making a little bit of fun of it, but it's value. There's value here. Um, But we're a grace church and we don't necessarily buy into like, you have to do this or that to be a good Christian person. And so I don't think that everyone needs to have a quiet time. I'm not suggesting that. Um, But I am going to say this. I'm going to say this. There are things that we do in our lives that help us recapture our wonder at who God is. For some people, that is waking up at 4 in the morning and going for, like, a 12-mile run. Estelle Harnett, awesome. You're weird. For, oh, dude, and now and Lucas, also weird. Did you guys know Lucas did, like, a 100-mile marathon? What an idiot. Oh, man, look at this guy. He tells me that it's like 60% kind of hard walking. So I guess... And, and how could it not be? Like, your heart would explode. Mine would explode in like mile three. Um, yeah. We could finally get rid of them. Uh, but so everyone has a different place where they're able to reflect and retreat and get to a spot where the, the wonder of God is recaptured. For me, if I'm being very honest, it's, I'm nerdy and it's studying. Um, I when well, i was just i just love the bible i love reading it and i love getting excited about it. i this week when we were you know working on this mike and i this this sermon we were just we stopped and we just we just reflected like how cool is it that you know here's a poem written by a guy who was you know about to get killed 3000 years ago and yet by the power of the Spirit it can speak new life into us as we prepare for the coming uh, the celebration of the coming of the Lord how cool is that how wild is that you don't buy it okay fine well it, it worked for me so I don't care if you have a quiet time, I don't care if you run 100 miles, whatever you do, but you do need to you know, circumference some place to, to remember and reflect on God's goodness, power, and provision, and in so doing, recapture wonder at his greatness. Number three, last what about screen time? Just going to take a shot at the culture. Uh, we are now at a place, especially those of us with kids, where we are media- mediating all of life through uh, computers, TVs, and tablets. Um, yeah, the, the, the babysitting aspect of it is, is rad. I'm not going to deny that. Um, oh, and, and I promise, John, by the way, it's worth the $7 a month. Disney is an evil corporation, no doubt, but that show, The Mandalorian, is amazing. It's absolutely incredible. I'm waiting with bated breath. Baby Yoda is the cutest thing I've ever seen in my life. If you don't know what I'm talking about, do yourself a favor. Give money to that demonic evil mouse and enjoy the glory that is the Mandalorian. It's like Star Wars has come back. Sorry. I get how addictive and attractive the screens are. I get it. But not at the expense of creating space as a family, as a community, and as a person um, to recapture the wonder and in so doing to replace the worry. Let's go back to the text. Those of low estate are but a breath those of high estate are a delusion. The balances, they go up. Together, they are lighter than a breath. Uh, that word breath is hevel in Hebrew. It's the same word in Ecclesiastes, if you know it. Vanity, and vanity, all is vanity. Nothingness, vapor, waste. You know. And when it, the, 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 the balances, it's talking about like a scale, right? Where you weighed you know, gold or whatever. The, the idea is that the, the life of the poor, the life of the rich, guess what? We're all ending in the same spot. Unless we're blessed to be the, the, the generation that receives the Lord at his return, every single person here is going to end up in the ground. And, if, and since that's the case, the, the total amount of value you are, how, how heavy you are, is so, so light, so nothing, that even a pebble on scales would, would, would cause you to go up. Because you're, you're, We're nothing. Vapor. Isn't it weird that David's talking about this when people are trying to kill him? Right, he he he. The poem is is to is to deal with the 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 fact, the confession of faith in in God. What he's saying is, he's saying, here is our natural inclination. Our natural inclination is to believe that those who are wealthy and have have high status, that that that's where safety, security, and rescue come from. That's our tendency as human beings. If we think if we just had this, if we just had that, then we would be safe. Then we would be secure. What he's saying is, I'm not going there. I'm not going there. I'm not going to put my faith in in, in this car or, or that 401k plan. Instead, what I'm going to believe is going to keep me safe and secure is God, because I know that no matter how much I save up for my retirement, I'm ultimately not making it out alive. Unless you're Scott Eichler, who plans to live to 115 years old. Even if you make it to 115, man, you're not making it to 116 he really thinks that, by the way. He's crazy. Everyone here is a little weird, which is what I like about you people. I was the only child growing up, so Christmas was one of the best days of the year for me. It was understood in my household that all the resources would be gathered into one place, and that is making sure that I had 25 to 30 presents. One year, 1990, it was the same year we came to this church, um, I think my dad had like been he, would, he trans, transitioned work and so there for some reason there was there were less resources and so starting in October my parents were you know getting me ready like Christmas might not cuz I, I had like the epic list you know to keep going my parents were like hey you might this 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 year might not be as great I thought they were toying with me my parents are clever that way, and they did try to you know, confuse me a lot as a child. So I just assumed this was the same tactic, where they were like going to do a bait-and-switch. They were going to get my expectations low and then blow them out of the water. So I made an even longer list. I saw right through them. Christmas morning came around. There were five presents. But my faith was unshaken. I knew that this was just a bait-and-switch. began to dawn on me when the fifth present, because my mom always withholds the best present for last. I opened up, uh, I have a picture here of Gargoyle's Quest for the Game Boy. <laughs> and the thing was, that was what I wanted the most. And they knew that. I was crestfallen. Broken hearted. Tom? Sweet little Prince Tom with only five presents? <laughs> and I will never forget the realization hit me and I looked and I could see in my parents' eyes this, um, this fear, this trepidation that I would be disappointed. And so I... I, I put on a good show. I was like, oh, this is the best game ever. I'm so, and it turns out it is the best game ever. I love this game. I played this game for months. It was an incredible, one of the best video game experiences of, of the early 90s. I, I loved it. And so they were actually right, and it turned out to be one of the greatest Christmas presents I've ever received. But at the time, at the time, I was I was disappointed and stressful, but I was putting a good face on it. Because like, I, I knew my parents, would. I, I loved them, and they loved me, and I knew that, and I didn't want them to feel hurt, even if I, deep down, was kind of like in my selfishness, like, Sort of bummed out. And so I'll never forget that night. Um, I was in bed playing my brand new Gargoyle's Quest on the Game Boy, and uh, my parents came up, and I think it was my dad. He says, um, Hey, Tom, I just want you to know how grateful we are um, that you could see that it's not about what you get at Christmas, Um, instead, it's really about being a family. And it was weird, because in my heart I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's definitely about what I get. But at the same time, I, I was—I think I was eight or nine, I was old enough to recognize that um, what he was saying was had a lot of weight to it. Even if I didn't believe it at the time, um, and I didn't feel it, uh, it, there was something really powerful there. And I want you to look uh, at, the, at the text here. Look at this interesting thing that happens. So, uh, up through verse uh, 8, it's all my, 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 me, me, me. Okay? David's in trouble. He's, he's un- under attack. My you're, God, you're my shelter, you're my fortress, you're my this, you're my that. And then at verse 8, something changes. Trust in him. That's a trust. It's a, it's a plural verb. You all trust in him. And he literally says, oh, people, pour out your heart. Interesting. Um so a lot of modern translations will translate this as your hearts, because obviously people can't share a heart, Right? Uh no this is actually the Hebrew is ya'al's heart. Uh, the idea being that in a community in the family of God there's this bizarre way in which even though we are all individuals and we all do have our concerns and our worries as as a people of God we have one heart, one desire, one one set of needs and 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 one set of focuses such that if one person in the community is damaged everybody in the community is damaged. Likewise, if somebody in the community is lifted up, everybody in the community is lifted up. We share one heart as a community of faith. And through the rest of the psalm, God is a refuge for us. Uh, David has moved from a a, a theology and doctrine of of, of individuality, sort of, with God, uh, to a a doctrine of, of a communality before God. And so even though he's out on his own, out on the land, he knows that back somewhere in Jerusalem, his allies are out there. And, and if he could just get back to them, he would share all of this that he's learned. And say, this is not just for me, it's for all of us. And then he, you know, he's, he's like, look, rich, poor, it doesn't matter. God's got the power. God's our refuge. That's the next thing you notice. Simply replace uh, riches with relationships. It's there, I promise. Simply replace. <laughs> it's not. It's gone. You can put it in your note sheets. So it's uh, if we, John, can we do like the uh, the the relationship check? Do we have it? There it is. All right. Just a couple of questions. What's most important, that we get what we want or who we're with? I'd like to think that now, um, and it's only because when I want something, I just, I just buy it uh, regardless of the cost and, you know, how it affects other people. But so as a result, I'm not that concerned about well, what I get for Christmas. If I were a better person, I wouldn't even need to buy stuff. And I would just be able to appreciate uh, the season for the family that I've got. number two you know it doesn't matter if you've got kids or not as long as you're here with us you're a part of forming the next generation of Christians and so we as a community have a a, a mission especially during the Christmas season to be like it's people it's not stuff you know that Gargoyles Quest was a great game but it's long gone. I don't know where it ended up. Probably my mom saved it. It's probably in the attic in their house, hoping that someday I'll go up there and look at old memories. But 1990 was the same year that uh, I first came to Coast. Gargoyle's Quest is gone. You're not. And some of you have been here that whole time. Rest, wonder, relationships—these are the things that David sort of puts into place as as the right way to get ready for God's salvation. If you want to anticipate God's coming and God's liberation, His rescue, um, the forgiveness of sins, the the freedom from uh, sin and and, and addiction. Uh, the The transformation of hearts, the entrance of of true life and, and forgiveness, if you want to be in the right zone the right way of being to be ready for that to settle into that if you want to participate in advent and to get you know look forward to jesus birthday, rest wonder relationships let 's pray Gracious God, um, we confess that we're runners and we're, um, we're busy and we're distracted. And we confess that that is the culture, that's um, not from you, God. I, I ask for a special intentionality for everyone here that will rest in you confident that you're working, that you're bringing about change and redemption and rescue. And God, we confess that we're warriors. We're caught up um, in our plans. We're caught up in in fear about money, about um, whether or not we're going to succeed. And God, I pray that we'll be people who replace that with wonder, an intentional recognition that you've been good, that you are mighty, and you're not going to quit being that. And God, in the midst of especially South Orange County with this emphasis on stuff and making it and, and status and being the richest and being the best, that will instead um, be invested in this community and the family that you provided for us, both at home and here at the church, that will rest in wonder and relationships.